It's Dr. Tennant Scribble Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. All right, welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted from a bubble in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, New Zealand. My name is Lewis. I'm the host of the show. For those who don't know, New Zealand is, or Auckland rather, is in its third lockdown and New Zealand as a whole are in their second. I believe that New Zealand moved in the parlance of our local alert system from four, which is full noise alert hide under the bed, coronavirus alert level, to level three, while uh, this fine city that houses half our population, um, half, half, not half, half our population remains in lockdown. They're saying for at least another two weeks, so I think it's officially about a week. That's the thing, um, I don't monitor so closely anymore, just when everyone else starts to talk about emerging Oh, um, I'll emerge. So, you know, uh, I mean, was it inevitable it arrived here? Probably preaching to the choir a bit here, but um, considering most of my listeners are um, based in New Zealand or, or, or expats or, you know, New Zealand affiliated and have uh, fairly uh, keen knowledge, um, we uh, did get complacent, I think, about things like vaccination. Certainly um, at my work, not a lot of... Shall we say stakeholders were scanning in, um, but that certainly wasn't unique, and I wouldn't say so if it was, because it would be kind of throwing my work under the bus. It was happening at supermarkets as well. I remember standing there one day, and I decided to, um, this is you know before when New Delta had arrived, um, I decided to stand by the scanning thing, because I noticed I was the only one kind of doing it. I don't know if this is a bit of a grumpy old man move, but I just stood there with my, my earbuds in. And I decided to count 30 people going in, and not one person scanned in. And I'd also only just been saying, on the one regular bus I get, which is home from the, the gym there in Newmarket, I walk over and then I do, you know, I, I gym it up, I gym the shit out of it, and then uh, I generally catch the bus home. And I just started noticing probably around the period of time, again, the invisible threat that, that Delta was actually out and about in Auckland. Uh, you know, again, I only just said to someone, man, no one, a whole lot of people, well, not no one, I'd said a whole lot of people on my, the up the uptake of masks on my bus seems to have significantly dropped in the last two weeks. In other words, again, people were getting complacent. But hey, look, do we really need to talk about coronavirus <laughs> it kind of becomes a topic when you're in the bubble so um to the episode uh these I, I only just recently said i'm committing to an episode a week on average before the end of 2021 as this will take it up to 125 episodes over what will then be five years goodness the time has really flown um which i'll be quite happy with it's an average of one a fortnight and then lockdown hits and I really do, as you've probably heard, if you're a regular podcast listener in general, you've probably heard other hosts say this, it is much better being in person. I mean, even if it's not podcast listeners, we kind of know this, the uh, you know the full spectrum of hum- human communication face-to-face. 
But uh, you can get it pretty close in sound quality, I think, and as well as kind of echo when you're chatting is a big part of that. You don't want that uncanny valley feeling when you're talking to someone. The connection isn't quite as locked in as it could be. Um, so these are becoming the quest for the perfect Zoom call. And uh, Scott and I put some time into getting this one right, basically, because the first time we connected on up, he told me it's great chatting with musicians, by the way, because they often have great kit at home. He had the uh, classic Broadcast Shure SM57, which is a lovely mic, but the um, interface uh, was set at the wrong sample rate. You're still starting to fall asleep on me. <laughs> But we got it right for the Friday, and I was a little bit like a giggly teenager, because I think it was just nice to lock in and chat to someone for so long. I really like Scott. Um, one of those people I feel is kind of a kindred spirit, but, you know, you often have these people who you've not, in the scheme of things, spent much time with. So, you know, we very much enjoyed talking about a lot of the similar um, interests we have outside of music, which include the meditative uh, benefits of fishing, Admittedly, if you're not a fish, Scott's extensive collection of outdoor cooking devices, some homemade, some purchased. Why Freddy's are called the Rainmakers in one certain spot of New Zealand. And their excellent outdoor concert film, Wairunga, which I went to the premiere of a few weeks ago and is now available in glorious what do they call it? 4K on YouTube. Just search up Fat Freddy's Waironga on YouTube. Lovely kind of, I think it's a lovely thing to watch over lockdown. If even, you know, in the background, coming back on in and having a look at what they're up to from moment to moment. Yeah, it's nice. It's a special, it's a special, it's a treasure. Oh, we also talked about vintage balsamic vinegar. And a bunch of other stuff. It was a great chat. Thank you, Scott. Um, hey, I got this letter from a listener. This is lovely. And because um, he said that, well, I'll read it to you. Kia ora, uh, I just had to listen to your conversation with Jen Ferguson. And you mentioned that you haven't received much in the way of listener correspondence in a while. Consider this some listener correspondence or more appropriately, uh, quote, fan mail, unquote, perhaps. I've been contentedly listening to your podcast for at least a couple of years without feeling the need to get in touch. But this evening over the dishes, I felt a strong compulsion to email. Very, very good on the details here. It's lovely. I've kind of definite theatre of the mind here, um, meeting meeting this fella um, via his words. Uh, I felt strong compulsion to email for little other purpose than to express my gratitude for what you do. Thank you, Lewis. It's lovely. I live on a small farm with my wife and our two young children in Oxford, North Canterbury. It's about 50 minutes west of Christchurch towards the mountains. Uh, I have a bloody, ridiculous, almost straight-line commute to Rolleston where I work for Selwyn District Council. Yes, a podcast big with truckers, apparently, which makes sense, and a small team, not this trucker looking for libraries heritage and public art it's a fantastic gig i'm in the car crossing the canterbury plains for about an hour and a half each day that's the perfect that's as long as these go plenty of time to be enthralled in rnz and various podcasts and he goes on for another um paragraph and it basically is just um, more of an introduction and some lovely words but if i keep going um oh look it's luke it's luke um i'm sure luke won't mind if people put all these pieces together and figure out exactly which Luke this is. Thank you very much. Luke, it's a lovely message. Like the show, leave a message, subscribe and share on one or more of the following services. Verbal Highs on Twitter, Verbal Highs Podcast on Facebook and Verbal Highs on Apple and Google Podcasts. You can stream via Spotify or iHeartRadio and um, I have my own little corner of the internet, uh, verbalhighs.com, where you can find the episodes in full glorious uh, colour 
with, of course, audio and download options. Don't forget, shout-outs to my lovely sponsors, Free FM Independent Community Media, based in Waikato. They serve a bunch of different communities throughout New Zealand as their um, function as an access radio station. Of course, the world is now very modern, and you don't have to appointment listen to their show. So I suggest you go and look at the different um, content they have available, freefm.org.nz. Take it away, Scott. This is Dr. Tannen's Verbal Highs. Oh, my God, you sound, you just sound, I mean, I wouldn't say arousing, but <laughs> compared to the other day. <laughs> yeah, operator era. Yeah. Now, here you are. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is hoodie season. Sure is. Um, we'll get straight into it. How was the, uh, how was the uh, Zoom party? Oh, that's <laughs> I find it so hard to be engaged, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When there's more than one. If it's just one-on-one, it's all good. Yeah. How many of you at the, at the soiree? Ooh, half a dozen. Too many. And even though, <laughs> and even though it was virtual... Is that why you were posting flans and so on? Like, were you catering this thing? (laughs) (laughs) No, I guess I just, um, you know, you you post what you're doing in the day and what I'm doing in the day is mainly cooking at the moment anyway. Yeah, it's, um, we're going to talk about this. It's what John Kerwin called in that depression ad, act of relaxing. I'm the same. Yeah. Podcast in the headphones. Long prep from scratch. We should give this some context. So I like these, these these to be kind of evergreen, but we are both in New Zealand for the second national COVID lockdown and the third Auckland lockdown. And um, I was going to tell you that I shaved for you, but I figure that's probably something <laughs> a man would rather have whispered in his ear. <laughs> What's that? It's funny because I grew a moustache for you. Okay. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, so, what do you think about? Uh, you reckon the stones will? Do you reckon the stones will keep going? I mean, it seems. How do you keep going without Charlie? How does Keith stay in time without Charlie? Oh, look, I don't, I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think Keith's too worried about staying in time with anyone. To be honest, he's sort of <laughs> out of sync with, uh, you know, the Grim Reaper and the world in general, which is why he's lasted so long, no doubt. I think um, I read this morning, though, because I've been reading a lot about um, Charlie Watts and his influence and um, how people are revering him in his passing. Yeah. I read some great stuff from Stuart Copeland this morning from the police. Um, he wrote an amazing um, article for The Guardian about uh, Charlie Watts's influence and just how unique he was, you know. And... Um, and I think uh, in that article they mentioned that they had a replacement already because Charlie Watts has been ill with cancer for quite some time. Wow. And they were preparing to go on the road without him, which is Just crazy. quickly, just move your mic down a little bit because it sounds so good, but there's a little bit of pop. Listen to me. Just down, uh, as, in, as in further away? Yeah, just there's just a little bit of pop there. Um, yeah, no, I, I, um, you know, what I've heard is um, that, I don't know. I don't know whether this is true or not. It's totally anecdotal. But that um, that Mick Jagger is kind of like um, Gene Simmons in the businessman sense, 
in terms of like just just keep the keep that side of the juggernaut rolling on. But then there's also like I mean, what else are they going to do at this stage? Like it's probably keeping them going, you know. Yeah, and they clearly love it. I mean, I yeah. went to that, that Western Springs show in Auckland. Um, God, it'd be at least ten years ago. No, longer. are you sure? It was I think it was the Mount Smart. It was Mount Smart because it was the first time I'd seen them. I reckon it was about seven, eight years ago. And and anyway, similar time frame. Yeah, I can't quite remember, but I remember sit watching them, and they did this part of the. Um, Part of the show where um, a mechanical arm came out and plonked a, a like a mini club sort of setup version of their band, their stage setup right out in the middle of the audience, and um, and they played all this sort of seventies. It was when they were playing all the seventies sort of classics, you know, can you hear me knocking and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and um, and man, they looked like they were having such fun. Well, we, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, if you had a catalogue that deep, you could just go, I, oh, what are we going to play today? You know? Look, I, I, I totally agree, and I realise you saying that it was a different concert, but within, you know, considering how long they've been going, within the same ballpark. It was sometime yeah, in the last 10 yeah. years, but I was going to say, I thought exactly the same thing, and I said similar to, to Buddies and stuff, um, like just a few flashes of moments, like the look, because they have, the, obviously these days, those amazing crystal clear monitors you know lcds whatever they are and um just keith looked genuinely in heaven during a couple of bits of guitar work you know it it wasn't you know it's not a it's not a what i call like when people turn into like a vegas cabaret act of themselves you know yeah, and they've got energy, you know. I mean, oh, it's yeah, yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Got, I know, you know yeah, Mick Jagger. Octogenarians, you know. <laughs> They're just like, there's so much energy coming off the stage. I mean, <laughs> it, it, in some ways, it's slightly unnerving to watch because you're kind of thinking, shit, you know, they're all grandparents, you know. They're, <laughs> they're um, but the, the way they just strut around and do their thing, you know, it's just, it's it's quite impressive. It sounds know. like and, you and I, we very similar, like, takeaways from that show. Yeah, I remember, yeah, totally. And, like, I mean, God, who knows? Mick Jagger might get his all his blood swapped out every week, you know? You never know. Yeah. Is that disrespectful? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think. No. <laughs> so what about you guys, man? Um, I was in, I'm going to ask you about the film, but I was just thinking, you know, big collectives. Um, I listened to... I don't know. Do you listen to podcasts much? A few. I kind of go through fits and starts of it. I'm a bit like that about consuming all sorts of media. Yeah. You know, I can. I kind of dip into the world of streaming television for a, a period of time. Like right now, obviously lockdown. Yeah. Uh, good time for that. But already, we've only been in lockdown for a week, and I'm over the TV. Yeah. Never okay, I've got I've got one for you, and it relates it relates to, relates to where I'm going. Um, music nerd, but also um, like a good bit of banter. Um, actually, you guys probably like this when you're on your way together. Questlove Supreme, Questlove, oh, yes. and, and he just yeah. has some 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 amazing guests. Anyway, I have listened to some of those. Right, listen to the Avalanches one most recently, and listen to oh, them okay. listen to them talking about sampling from scratch, back with the technology was like that. Anyway, collectively, those guys really, it's, I find it really fiction. They refer to like all their members and their ex members as a root. Yeah, and I think people yeah. who are quite close are a root as well. Are, yeah. are you a Freddy? Is that the c- correct? Is that the correct term? I am a I guess, now, because I came into the band after they formed. So I guess the roots of Fat Freddy's Drop were 
the Bongmaster crew and the new crackhead experience. You yeah. Know, so it's Benny Staples and it's Aaron Tukana and it's um, obviously Moo and Del and and Toby and Andreas Lepper and, you know, and kind of what was happening in Wellington in the mid-90s. And I was there at that time, but I wasn't connected to those people yeah. outside of knowing the horn players from music school, really. And... Um, and being an audience member, you know, going along to club nights and watching them and making friends with Kyan and all that, so you know, all the all the people on the periphery of that sort of scene, mm. and then the band obviously formed, became essentially what it is now in terms of its structure and the way it operates and plays, and then when Warren left to concentrate on Trinity, then, um, you know, then I stepped in, so I'm That's- less of a Root and more of a Freddie. <laughs> I was, yeah, that's a really interesting, long and nuanced answer about your perceived provenance. I was more meaning whether the, is it noun for a member of the Freddies? Oh, right. A Fred. <laughs> a Fred. Yeah. Are you a Fred? You don't call each other Freds. I'm a, I'm a Fred. No, nah, we call ourselves the Freddies. The Freddies. So you're a Freddy. But that sounds collective. It's collective and singular. Look at that, folks. Yeah, that's right. Honestly. Yeah, um, yeah Wairunga, how, how, how was that experience? Like, I imagine it's a... It's a reaction to to lockdown. To well, you weren't, we weren't in lockdown, but to, to well, to to the rest of the world, to where you guys normally tour, being in lockdown and yeah, and yeah. wanting to do something, right? Yeah, that's right. So I think um, you know, like everyone, when when we first went into lockdown last year, we were actually in Europe on tour. Mm. Europe went into lockdown. We had to get out of town, you know, as fast as we could yeah. and get home. Um, and so later in the year, we had the opportunity to go in and do a performance at the Michael Fowler Center because we'd, we'd, you know, we was, we were looking around thinking, well, you know, um, there's all these empty venues, there's production crew doing nothing and the production guys were really, really hurting because, you know, as a musician, you've got a little bit of residual income coming in from various places. The production guys had nothing. So so we applied yeah. for some funding to put on a show, uh, an audience-less show, yep. um, I should say, um, really so that we could keep in contact with our crew in yeah. the venue, you know. Yeah. And, then, and that was such an illuminating experience for us because we had the chance to sort of set up in a completely different way, facing each other rather than the audience. No audience, eh? No audience. Yeah. Play, so that's play, hugely different. Yeah, and yeah. play to each other, yeah. which is how we, how we set up in our studio. Yeah. And, and so it felt instantly familiar and incredibly um, uh, strange being in a huge space, <laughs> yeah. a huge venue where you can see the empty seats, no one there except us and the production crew, you know? Yeah. And... Um, and it just gave us a sort of chance to sort of um, to approach some songs in a slightly different way, or or just kind of the energy in a, in the performances in a different way. Because often in a live context, you're thinking, "Geez, we've got two and a half thousand people. We we really they they they're full of energy. We need to be full of energy and and sort of ride that wave with them." And am I Whereas, correct that with what you guys play, just to cut you off for a sec, that you are. It is kind of does have a DJ element to it, where you can yeah. move according to, you know, you know, kind of the crowd's vibe, right? You you, you guys that's play right, to, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So we can extend or contract things as we 
as we see fit, you know, much yeah. like a DJ getting in or, in or out of a tune quicker or, or slower yeah. than you might you might normally do. Please continue. And I, and, <laughs> and I think um, we had such a good time doing that um, that we thought, man, it'd be great to do another one. And we actually looked at another venue in Hawke's Bay here, um, a recently renovated um, opera house, you know, which is a beautiful space. Yeah. We couldn't quite make it work in terms of the production and everything. And we've had this connection with Waironga, which is um, a farm not far from um, Hastings there, up on up above the coast, um, for years and years and years. And we've talked about uh, doing a show there or performing there. And, and we suddenly thought, well, why don't we just take this performance idea and shove it into this, you know, unusual setting, you know. the People have seen us in rooms before, you know. Yeah. Um, what about doing one outside, you know? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much of what you guys um, decide to do and, and understand is, uh, you know, needs to be unsaid or whether you kind of bullet point out all these kind of, I guess, what's the word? Like, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's strategy in a way, but like, Obviously, I'm assuming it occurred to you guys that for your very large European audience, it's a backdrop of New Zealand, even though it's just a, a backyard. Like, it is very New Zealand-looking, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think, I mean... Or am I over? Am I overthinking no, that? No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, because, yeah. Because, you know, not wanting to discount our local audience at all. Oh, for sure. We had just done a summer series of shows yeah. here in New Zealand and it felt like New Zealand had had a really great summer in that regard you know there were lots of shows on lots of great performances lots of bands really up to the, the ante and and sort of stepped up to being big show bands yeah. you know and um meanwhile in Europe nothing was going on at all and no. we were supposed to be over there doing you know out that tour that got um curtailed was 35 shows you know oh so God. we're thinking that's a lot of that's a lot of people that we would normally be yeah. playing for um who haven't been able to come to us and it's actually the second year in a row that that's happened so um we it was primarily with that audience in mind that we put this together we thought you know what can we do for them which is why we've you know, we kicked around the idea of, oh, you know, do we do we put it behind a paywall? Do we? That's what I was just going to ask. I was going to I was going to point. I was going to give the example of because I, I did watch what you guys did afterwards, and I'll be interested to hear from you exactly what you've done. But I thought of the Louis C.K. model. Remember him before he was cancelled? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where he put up, um, where he where he'd put up. I don't know if you know this. He kind of pioneered putting up a special just on his site for five right. US dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you end up doing? We gave it away for free, um, but we made it an appointment. So, so you had to sort of like, um, okay, we're not going to just put it straight onto the YouTube TV yeah. channel, or whatever, and you can just access whenever. We wanted to make it feel like it was a special, right? This is the this is the time to to do it, and and we know that you're all in your separate uh, houses or whatever it might be, or yeah. you might be able to get together with a few other people, but but this is the time that it's going to play. Great. So we did it like that. We did it kind of like a a premiere screening type idea i guess and and it seemed to really connect with people the fact that it was kind of a a that one it was unique in that it was a it wasn't just that us performing in front of an audience and we happened to film it at the same time yeah you know it was like these are songs performed in a particular way because there's no audience yeah and we're and we're approaching it in that you know in that context and so 
Um, and I loved it. It was like really lovely and understated. Like, it yeah. was quite for me. It, and so it people was, at home in lockdown as well. It occurs to me now. Yeah, yeah. It was quite emotional in lots of it ways. Felt, you know, it felt that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. it was something that we. I mean, playing on stage is what we do. It's what we love to do. I mean, yeah. as much as we love mucking around in the studio and making beats and writing tunes and that sort of thing, being on stage and performing is a really special opportunity you know and yeah. so and so to be able to get back out there and do that again after a, such a long break um felt really special and to be on a stage you know to be actually back on a stage felt yeah felt pretty pretty incredible but yeah. also to do it in the context of this i don't know recalibrated world you know was was um uh, yeah just kind of lent a little bit extra I don't know gravitas. No, it's all, it's the all there. Yeah, side, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, and and I will appreciate like um, if you probably have, you know hear enough from Moo and the rest of your bandmates to have not listened to my podcast episode with Moo, but I did say I to him, "Haven't checked that one right, out." Well, I did. I did. I, I, it's funny. Talk, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dip in. Don't worry. Right. Anyway, so it's it's funny you say that because I said to him in that episode, or oh, something along the lines of, "Are you a studio band who?" also plays live or are you a live band who has to go into the studio for his answer scott you need to go and listen i will i will <laughs> i'd be intrigued though i think i mean I, it feels like a balance to me yeah i mean it really does but there's an energy about uh being on stage that for me personally um you can't replicate with anything else so. also the super obvious is one informs the other forever in time and the yeah. other thing i was going to ask is um so moving away from the musical side of it the other stylist decisions like sarah's um directed it right so she was yep. kind of director slash cinematographer i take it yes yeah, so, so just, just to follow up on that question quickly so did you guys talk stylistically about how it was going to be shot like um how it was going to look or did you kind of leave her to that because you again she's kind of a freddy isn't she so yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah. um we wanted there to be some continuity so some of the things that are in the <clears throat> excuse me the lock-in um film from michael fella center uh, are carried across to um waironga mm. um so um couches artwork um oh the painting was such a nice touch it was so yeah. random but so perfect and that actually is from the kitchen in our studio yeah. so that hangs there and so we wanted some things to uh connect us back to being in the studio because right. essentially essentially that's what it is yeah it's us behaving like we would in the studio but with uh more um context for it you know and and uh, a crazy, se- uh, well, not a crazy setting, but a, but a, a, but a certainly a different setting. But it needed to connect us back to what it's like being in the studio. So that's why those couches are there. That's why those that artwork's there. Um, there's a little drinks cabinet that's beside the horns. At one, you know, that's, yeah. that's actually what we, you know, we sit around when we were jamming and yeah. recording and stuff, and we have a little drinks table. It was a beautiful <laughs> drinks cabinet. Um, yeah. So that's the uh, that's what they call the mise en scene, mate. What's in the frame? Oh, yeah, yeah, what about, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about the uh, the shot types? Because there was, you know, there was it was it was definite to me. It was in terms of sort of shot styles and and edits and stuff. It was filmed in quite a deliberate way. Um, well, everything is, isn't it? Because it's it's controlled by humans. But did you again? Did you guys was that left with Sarah, or was there talk about? Um, did you sit in the edit room at the end? No, we yeah. didn't. So um, 
one of the things I really like about Freddy's is that, um, you know, some years ago we made a decision to to sort of really up the game in terms of our professionalism and our approach to, you know, the business mm. and being being the business. And that entailed sort of um, handing the reins over in lots of ways to pros in their own game. Gotcha. You know, whether it's... Yeah. Whether it's the production guys, whether it's front of house sound, whether it's lighting, you know, um, pay the money, get the good guys in, let them do what they're. And also, do. don't kind of do their head in, you know, like yeah, be o- over managing them through the process or whatever. Yeah, that's right, and 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 give them the chance to do what we have done as musicians, which is forge a longer term relationship, and you know, and inform what happens with their own skill set and personality you know so so we we um you know sarah just took over she put together a, a big crew actually so yeah great i think it was like a five camera shoot maybe four or five yep um you know um people from all over the place auckland wellington just people who are really good at what they do that great. she had a connection with yeah and let them cut loose do your thing you know so um it, it was handy that the um you know that the the weather packed in in some ways, and that and that it added some visual drama. And, and the, I mean, we were freezing that's, cold; um, it was raining. And that's on, that's on my list, Scott. This thing's writing itself. Thank you. I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like that, was, you know, staged. It's like you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You know, it was like, <laughs> what are the chances? So there's oh, just suddenly, and, and I think, quite, and, and, yeah. and by the way, sorry, what you probably don't know because there's hundreds of people there was I, I was at that amazing screening premiere in, in Auckland. So one of you said. I can't remember if it was you. One of you said anyway, like, oh, it hadn't rained in that spot for like, you know, like someone said beforehand, like, it's like one of those, like you jinx it. Like someone said beforehand, oh, it never rains here. So don't really worry about contingency for rain. Is that, is that fairly accurate? <laughs> yeah. We, we actually, Freddie's actually had a nickname amongst the farmers of Hawke's Bay for years. We were called the Rainmakers because we would do a show. We would really? announce a show. Oh, that's cool. And they'd be, they'd be in the middle of summer, typically in sometime in February. And um, they wouldn't have had rain for months. I love now, that story for know. some reason. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And we'd we'd roll into town to do our show, and it would rain. You know, heavily. yeah. So then then we had a little sequence where it was quite the opposite, where we'd turn up to do a show, and it'd be just unbelievably hot. You know, mid thirties, wouldn't have rained for months. Not a single cloud. You'd be burnt to a crisp. You know, um, but then. This one, our our host for the day, Johnny Parker, it's his farm, his family farm. And um, he was like, nah, it's not going to rain. It hasn't rained for <laughs> a week. It's not going to rain for another week. But Licks you know, his finger, enough. sticks it up in the air. You know, that's yeah, local knowledge, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> My yeah, knee's yeah. not sore. It's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The wind's coming from, <laughs> yeah, you know, the yeah, southeast, yeah, yeah. and it never rains yeah, from yeah. the southeast, or whatever it was. Yeah. It was you know? yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it did rain, and it got very cold. And we were we were kind of... At one stage, we were umming and ahhing about, oh, my God, do we go and finish this today or do we try and get another day in? And the crew had already committed. They were in. They were set up. And we thought, ah, let's just keep rolling, see what happens, you know, see what we get. And what we and they were, they were happy, though. They were like, yes, it's raining. There's steam coming out of the horns. There's fire. Yeah, it looked, it looked, it, it did look, yeah. But i got to say, I mean, I'm so, I, I feel that you were cold, Scott. But what I was worried about for you guys was electrocution. It was it was getting yeah. to that point where it would be like a Muppet Show sketch. One of you would kind of. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's yeah, funny because it didn't happen. Show, so yeah, that, that actually rings very true to me. My life does feel like the Muppet Show. Uh, but then again, stylistic decision, decisions from memory, there's a very kind of definite, quite long cut that shows that we've come back and there's been like, you know, the kind of gazebos over the top and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's right. There had to be a pause, really, because, I mean, we, we originally did set out to do that where we thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll perform in three parts of the day. Yeah. And that was kind of mid-afternoon, and we'll do, you know, a couple of songs that sort of fit into that. And then we'll transition into the night, you know, and then later in the night, you know, we'll bring out the, bring out Mui's techno beats, you know. And, yeah. Um, God, they're pretty stonking at the moment. Yeah, Some of that stuff yeah. without you guys is just straight up and down... 4 a.m. Berlin yeah. nightclub, you know, with a, with a sliced sliver of Jamaica running through it. He has a, a um, an arsenal of weapons like that. When I tuned, I hadn't seen him for so long, Scott, and, you know, I hold, hold Moo in high regard, and, and um, so I just wanted to go into the studio. I went to, your, you know, your, your spot in Kilburnie yep. and just wanted to get the interview down. We, you know, obviously, we do know each other fairly well from quite a few years ago, so we chatted beforehand and afterwards. But um, the music he was playing was fucking incredible the track he was playing before i started and i figured it has to had to be one of his but kind of as i say i just wanted to get set up and chat to him so i didn't really want to start picking his brain about the stuff he was making but yeah as evidenced in the film and what played beforehand that end of stuff seems to be particularly kind of fruitful in his said arsenal at the moment right yeah i mean he um he's one of those people too that has uh that ability just to keep uh, chipping away at his craft, if you know what I mean, at yeah. his production craft. So, so he always has a setup at home <clears throat> and at the studio. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, you know, we, we go and have a rehearsal, or whatever, and you spend the first half an hour just sort of checking out Moo's new beats or um, yeah. you know, jamming along to something you've never played on before because it's a hot sounding thing that he's created in the last week, you know. Um, yeah, I think he's just his production is just amazing. Funny, funny. I'd love to hear like a a solo thing from him. Like he could he could do that. Oh, totally. Time. And what you I mean, what you guys do that again? You, you, you're well aware of, and fans most fans will be aware of is um, you kind of soften not soften that, but yeah, what you guys do over the top really broadens what he's doing audience wise. I think like you yeah, know, it's, it's a certain set yeah. that like to write. <laughs> that like the straight up rave, straight up and down rave business, you know. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great combo. But last few things on on the film, um, I need to discuss Ian's hat. Um, yes. That is a fantastic hat, and Isn't it beautiful. It, to my knowledge, is the only other hat like that I've seen. Is Curious George's offsider, the man with the yellow oh, hat? Yeah, but Ian's is orange. You know. You, do you see similarities enough, in those hats? Well, <clears throat> you've unlocked one of the great mysteries of um, Ian's wardrobe right there. That is a long-held secret no. <laughs> source of inspiration. <clears throat> you're no, you're I'm pulling my leg. Serious. No, no, that's absolutely straight up. Oh, my God, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where the inspiration for that comes from. It's beautiful that hat. I mean, it's and and Ian's had a like a long. You, you need to be in the you need to be in the right mood to wear that hat. That is not that is not a day to day hat. Oh, he would wear that quite often. Oh, well, goodness. Yeah. Well, he's got several. <clears throat> yeah. 
He's got several he can choose from. I'd love um, to know the style of it. I mean, they all have names, colors, you know. Colors. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to know. There's, it is a particular style. Uh, does he get that Hills Hats guy? This is like a paid promo. Yeah, does he get right. that Hills Hats guy to make? Uh, I've got. To, I've got to see if that guy wants to make me a hat, and I'll do some some shout outs on the on the yeah, show. No, we have we've had a long. Uh, Simon's had a really uh, deep. Can't fuck with a good hat. Music for ages. Yeah, and and. Um, and he's made hats for Lady Six. In fact, Lady Six's hat is a bit of a bite of um, Ian's one. Ian's, Ian's always been the first one in there to, um, you know, hey, how about we make the brim bigger here? How about we make that taller? You know, <laughs> yeah. how about we go for this? If he, really lived, if he, was, from, if he was from Dallas, he'd be like the guy with the biggest, you know, oh, like yeah. the cartoon Stetson. Like, yeah. you have and to go boots. sideways. You have and to go sideways boots. through doorways, you know? Yeah. <laughs> The other yeah. question is, in terms of um, filming decisions, is um, do you recall, and there's two names for these, so firstly you need to school me here, a tuba is the same as a double bass, correct? I don't mean a double bass as in an upright double bass, but the tuba instrument. I guess it, I mean, traditionally it would have played that role in like brass bands and that sort of thing. Because that's what it I would think. Have, yeah, it's so so um, does he play a tuba or does he play a euphonium? Who? It's a tuba. Who? No, it's a tuba. Who? Who? Yeah. Who? Joey. I'm well, it does. This is the thing. It doesn't get played in the film, but there are shots in the film with the tuba present. So to me, the tuba was like in a kung fu film: the old guy that does nothing till the end <laughs> and then fucks everyone up. But then it ends. Oh, oh there's the cat. And um, no outcome from the tuba. It's just a, a cinematic. Um, well, it's a beautiful looking thing. It, it is. Be, that's that's uh, fair to say. The um, I mean, I think I'm just trying to remember back to that day. I'm pretty sure there was a song that didn't make the cut. Right. So and that's I interesting. Think the tuba might have been in that song. That's my cinematic nerdery again. There was yeah. foreshadowing. Oh, was the, the, there was, there was foreshadowing of, of. Well, I kind of had to teach a bit of this stuff for you years were just as well. Waiting for that to kind of like fall out of the sky and. You know, I just thought that this day for the yeah, hero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. A bit yeah. of um, what's his name, Joseph Campbell, the hero's yeah. journey, Star Wars. Oh, now I've lost. They lost the last thing I was going to say about. It. Oh, yeah. So just to close off the film. Yeah, amazing seeing it in the cinema. Um, so many times over years I have gone to concert films that have been ruined by the screening, particularly the hi-fi, but, man, it was great. Was it quite um, – because you talked about it being emotional making it. Was it quite full-on in the cinema for you? Y- yeah. Or did you I just mean, kick back and enjoy unnerving. it? I did kick back and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, because, to be honest, I was really pleasantly surprised with how many people came. <laughs> I was the, the, the idea, I mean, uh, I've got to give uh, credit to uh, MC Slave for even coming up with the idea for the screening. He was just like, this is crazy. We've got this thing. We need to put that on the big screen. This just can't yeah. be on your laptop. And and we were like, oh, geez, really? Okay, okay, we'll see what you can pull off. And the next thing in you, you know, he was like, right, I've got all of the cinemas there. Um, you know, at the uh, where was it? It was up in up in Newmarket. Yeah, there. they've given us the whole place for the day. We can do what we want, basically. And I was like, oh shit! Well, their their, their thing the is, thing. you know, uh, obviously superhero blockbusters are the are the model now. But yeah, my understanding is that a lot of cinemas, the reality is, looking for those more kind of bespoke one off things is is the way forward. So, like, what? How can we make this uh, a kind of 
this is probably a very economic businessy term, but a value-added screening. Yeah. And so that's why they're really keen to do stuff like that because, you know, I spoke on another podcast, like I went to the I went to the um, Dawn Raid doco oh, nice. yeah. on like a Thursday night at, let's say, 8 p.m., middle of Auckland, Queen Street. There were seven people in the whole theatre, you know. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so general release stuff, again, as I say, aside from superhero blockbusters is becoming harder and harder to frequent. But that aside, yeah, no, it was great. Of course you guys had people turn up because you bloody got lots of fans <laughs> and friends, mate. So, so, so it would seem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how was that like? Because, I don't know, I think for me now that I feel like this lockdown – the reality of what COVID is, is hitting a lot more. Yeah, but but I wasn't just finishing a first show on a leg of what if you guys as a regular, you know, well-organised part of your career of, of, you know, touring in Europe and, and basically seeing like what sounded to me like the lights switching off on a, on a map of Europe because that's kind of what happened to you guys, right? Yeah. So, so did you, did you... Did, how, how, how was that experience? And, and did you ju- did you just sort of come back and and um, it didn't affect you too much, or, or you know, in other words, how's your experience of COVID compared to mine based on going going through that? I think well, we had <clears throat> we we saw it coming somewhat um, because even before we went away on tour, we were having discussions about which shows were likely to be cancelled, which countries were shutting down. Um, uh, I know Michael Baker, the uh, epidemiologist uh, from back in the Welly days. In fact, I remember having a huge party on the, his roof of his apartment back in the day. But um, he's the Otago University um, doctor, Michael yeah. Baker, who's often in the media. And and so I was talking to him and getting advice from him for the on behalf of the band and the touring party, you know. And so he was said, "This is what's going to happen. This is." likely scenario this is how you need to behave so we had we had quite a good sort of understanding that it was serious mm. um but just the speed with which it all went down so we were expecting to go over do our shows in germany um possibly lose a couple shows in the middle of the trip around um italy and spain they and uh, that seemed to be the most likely scenario. And then we'd finish the trip doing a few more shows. Um, so it looked like it was going to be curtailed somewhat, but still manageable. But, I mean, literally the day we arrived, boom, you know, there's another show down. Oh, this is another country lockdown. Now we can't go up here, you know. And and we so we even the very first show, right up until the last minute, we didn't get uh, approval from the local authority, you know, government authority, to to do the show until right in the, in, at the very last hurdle, you know, and they were like, yep, it can go ahead. And I think it was for like 3,000 people or something like that. So I guess it was probably considered quite a high-risk uh, scenario for that, you know, for that uh, time. It was in Frankfurt. So um, in other words, authorities had to kind of sign off on it and make that decision. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So they were, they were umming and ahhing uh, about what was going on. Then we drove up to Hamburg and we were on our way further north, um, up to Stockholm, I think, and Oslo and that sort of place. And we stopped there for the night. And then literally in the course of, um, you know, over dinner, the whole tour fell to bits. Fuck. And then we were like, okay, well, let's just go to Berlin and catch up with our mates and do some DJ shows for a few days. And then if you want to go home, you can go home. And right. if you want to stay, you yeah, stay. Yeah. And yeah. then 
by the time we'd finished that, <laughs> that discussion, no. the travel agent was on the phone saying, right, get to the airport, you know. Yeah. So, um, and, and so it kind of felt serious, but also slightly removed from it because, you know, you, you weren't sort of like, oh, well, I don't even know what we're talking about here. It's anyway, like you sort of dipped your toe in, like you kind of bungeed in and bungeed out. Yeah, it was like, oh. Uh, well, it felt like a near miss, you know. It felt yeah. like we just kind of... Um, we we glanced off the side of what was going on, and then but then had to come home because everyone was just, taking it very just, seriously. Just went one aside with that, like for, for 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 people who don't know locally, like you're a serious touring act now. Like it's not a bunch of guys kind of going over there with with your guitar cases and and stowaway and on people. So there's a whole not only a whole crew, but there's there's um, freight sent over beforehand and all of that, right? So yeah, you had to right. kind of like that all had to be coordinated in reverse quite quickly, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah, it's complicated, you know. So, so we had eighteen people and a ton and a half of gear to wow Amazing. to get back out. Amazing, and, yeah. And and um and it took a while, you know. Um, all the people got out, but the gear didn't for a long time. Yeah. And um and you know. Just say safely help. and lock up somewhere, obviously. Well, you say safely, but people will still have, you know, sniffing around it. Going on. What's yeah, it? Yeah. And that, that um, tours had fallen over from, you know, we weren't the only band out there. There were dozens, hundreds. Oh, no, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And so all of a sudden, these backline companies and storage companies are looking at these. Uh, at these bills that are not being paid because the bands haven't earned any money. One of those storage wars scenarios. Oh, God, yeah. imagine that. And so you think they're thinking, well, how are we going to recoup um, our outlay? And, you know, so in my mind, I was thinking, am I ever going to see my saxophone again? I've had it since I was 13. And also um, suddenly you feel like New Zealand is very far away from where oh, my gear yeah, is. that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so we got a bit of help with getting our gear back. We got it back eventually. I felt extremely relieved to um, to have not only my gear but everyone else's gear back in country. And that's really where the genesis of that lock-in Michael Fowler Centre yeah. came from because we had gear all of a sudden. We were excited to see it. And we are like, yes, we didn't really get to play. We played the one show in Frankfurt and we were on fire. Oh, I get you. It's because it's the... The, it came home. You got stuff was back on land, and you could yeah, gotcha. So it sounds like on the other kind of more emo side of things with coronavirus, like I was talking about. Like I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but it's sounding like because we were quite lucky here, and maybe we got a bit complacent that that side of it hasn't sunk in with you properly till now either. I just thought yeah. you guys might have had that corona kind of, oh, you know, already already on you. Uh, we, I think. It was a shock not being able to do that, that yeah. tour, not being able to complete that tour. And then coming back and, and, and immediately, of course, you know, um, our management and, and promoters over in the UK and everything went, you know, got head down, tail up. Um, all of a sudden, you know, yes, there's uh, dates for next year. Okay, sweet. Okay, cool. Next year. Um, that's been pushed out again, another 12 months. So all of a sudden you start seeing that as a, you're thinking, wow, okay, well, Normally we go up to Europe twice a year. We haven't been up there since 2019 now. Yeah. It's going to be t- 2022 at best when we get back there again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we will get back there. But um, all of a sudden that feels like far out. That is quite a big chunk of time Yeah, um, where that part of your career and business activity and artistic output is in pause mode. And... Um, 
Well, could, and, could you, you know, argue it's kind of the the biggest, it's the main thing you guys do on your calendar absolutely. in terms of the combination of all those things combined, right? Absolutely is, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we do do shows around New Zealand, obviously, but, you know, we can't sort of, one thing we didn't want to do last year with the lockdown and then everyone coming back out and all these shows coming on, on stream, we were like, you know, the audience is going to get fatigued at some stage. We can't just go out there and thrash them to death, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, need to, we need to be able to, um, you know, do a good number of shows but without just taking the piss, basically. And, um, and so, you know, now we're in the position where we're like, okay, the payoff for that was it meant that we could organise these shows for September. But those Indeed. ones are in the can now. So, oh, sh- um, of course. Yeah, September is like pretty much now. Yeah, almost tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got to be in level one for those shows to come yeah. off. And all of a sudden you're, you're going, oh, wow. So that's like two, yeah, one, two, three, three tours and a bunch of other gigs that have all been, I'm going to say put, put in pause mode rather than cancelled because that's kind of the way we're trying to think about postponed, it. Postponed. Postponed. Remember, the, postponed. remember on the radio, Saturday mornings, listening for your yeah. sport? Is it That's postponed right. or is it cancelled? On the cold, rainy days, you'd be praying, right? Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please say it's off. Well, I just had a buddy, yeah, like, um, just posted again his um, 50th birthday party, you know, a few weeks ago. Well, coronavirus ruined it last year, but, you know, here we go again. Bang, twice. It's like, God, I wouldn't bloody try and have a third... 50th birthday, yeah. I don't think, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you've, you, at the same time, you know, that's kind of, I guess what we're kind of facing a little bit. We're thinking, okay, yep, you've just got to stay positive. You've got to, I mean, it's... Um, oh, you guys are happening. you got that film. I mean, you put a film out, you know? Good yeah, it's amazing. True. I mean, we're... You we're played at the Michael Fairless Centre. We're staying busy. We're staying yeah. busy as we can. You yeah. Know? Um, funnily enough, um, the manager of Freddy's, Nicole... Yeah. It's a philosophy tutor at the university. What's the class you're taking with her? And I'm taking a class with her. I'm taking philosophy classes. I had no idea she's a uni tutor. So is is Nicole a a doctor now? No, no, she's not. Anyway. Um, But, uh, yeah, she's... Isn't it weird being a student of, like, your colleague and um, kind of manager? How's she going to mark that work ethically, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an introductory course. I'll so moderate no the shit out of that one if I was on that teaching team. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, I feel well, like there was, sorry, there was a point you were going to make about lots that. Of, lots of apples. I've been sending <laughs> yeah, lots of apples. Yeah, um, there was a point you were going to make about that, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, my point is that um, she's been studying philosophy for probably five or six years now, and, yeah. and I've seen the... Um, positive impact that's had on her ability to weather this particular storm gotcha, or just yeah, storms yeah. in general yeah, you know yeah and so i thought man i need a bit of that in my life um a bit of that uh you know even-handedness so so um yeah it's been really good for me in terms of 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 how to uh conceptualize you know a future how to um you know, deal with deal with the day to day. You know, it's been really good, and I think everyone in their own way has, um, in the bands, sort of um, found something like that that's given them a, a way to sort of navigate at the moment, which is which is really handy. You know, it's actually, um, yeah, it's been you're it's you're been on quite a for me. just. I mean, it's like that grass is greener thing. I'm and literally in this what I'm about to talk about. Um, I'm in a in an apartment, and you know, under 
electric light a lot of the day in lockdown. But yeah. you've from the few couple of photos I've seen, you you've got quite a, a nice bit of semi-rural land where you are, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so that must be um, that must help to you. And, and I'd imagine with the with the with the food buzz um, that you do a bit of do you grow stuff as well or like are you exper- Look, yeah. I would love to say that I uh, am a, a, a paddock-to-table sort of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can-to-table, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Paddock-to-plate is not me. I have tr- My parents are fantastic gardeners, and I've tried, but I am not a fantastic gardener. Um, I, am a good well, I think you'll find that's so. garden-to-plate unless you get meat. But um, were you talking about, weren't you talking about curing a sausage, curing, turning, oh, yeah, turning I, your shed into a meat, uh, uh, not a processing <laughs> plant, that sounds a bit, yeah. into, a, into a curing, into a, what do you call it, a curing room, a, like a cigar? Yeah, I did, I did have, well... When I first moved down here, I actually built a fridge, which I called Franken Fridge, which was a oh, um, yeah, that's right, which, is a, which had a whole bunch of uh, dials and temperature temperature gauges and humidity monitors and all that sort of stuff in it. And I was making salami and and um, curing meats and all that sort of stuff, and it was going really well. And I, and a friend of mine had a pig farm um, down in uh, the Capiti Coast there, and we were talking about. You know, supply chain hooking up and and you know doing some work together um but then touring life got busy got really busy this was a few years ago obviously yeah. and um and it became just untenable you know the idea of doing that that said i still make sausages i still cure things i still you know i um i love fishing so i love you know, I love fishing. I love fishing. Fish and yeah. you know, turning it into stuff. I love. You know, I I really do. Where, enjoy do you surf cast from where you are? Like, where, where do you still? How do you? Do you where, how do you fish where you are? Do you go out in a boat? Ah, uh, kayak fishing. Oh wow! Which is kind of my. There's um, a bit of knack to that, eh? Like I tried it once, and it's like very unsettling when you first try it. The kind it, of yeah, and absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, hindsight's fantastic, and and I, now that I sort of. Remember back to when I first started. I got myself into some hairy, hairy positions. Oh, when bro! I if you roll with a big fish on your line, my goodness! Holy moly, man! I got uh, yeah. I was, but the same, good thing about that is that you sort of like wow. I sort of survived that one and got a few battle scars from it, and now I feel really confident. So, so I mean, I often drive all the way from here up to the Coromandel just because I love that part of the coast so much. I've seen my folks got a batch there and I've seen a guy like it was like something out of a, I don't know like a cartoon or something like come back at a beach called Furitoa come back um, in his kayak with a fish so big it was kind of like hanging off you know the tail yeah. was hanging off one side and the big you know serious size fish yeah no it's a, it's a pretty cool it's it's a pretty um, my wife always asks me what do you think about when you go fishing, and uh, I don't think about anything. You know, that's like, totally, totally, bro. Out there on the water. I, I worked that out so, so long nice. ago. It's yeah. the same with surf casting. Like that's what I really like about it is you go in that zone. It's kind of the zone I get if I if if, if DJing's going the right way for me. Yeah. I'll, that's yeah. the best. That's it's called flow, isn't it? Well, actually, that's yeah. different to flow when you're fishing because it's a lot more low impact but it's a similar thing it's like it clears your brain in a really positive way state of relaxation you're connected to what's directly in front of you you yeah yeah staying on the on the boat staying out of the water catching the fish whatever watching your line what you know all that sort of stuff um you know how good that sounds sitting in my apartment here at the moment like being out (laughs) on the water 
I know. I mean, I as it come back to your original point, we're yeah. bloody lucky in that we have we do have like a bit of land. Uh, when I say a bit of land, we've got a paddock with some sheep running around in it to keep the grass down. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, the sun's been shining the last few days, so you know, go and sit in the paddock with your coffee yeah. and watch the sheep run around. There's um, actually a really, uh, you know, I feel bloody lucky. I do. Look, I've got this. I've got this um, huge balcony. Like, it, you have to sort of see it to, to comprehend how large it is. It's because I've seen some photos. Right, right, right. It's it's yeah. to do with how high you can legally build a building, but I haven't really done anything with it. But even on a tiny little balcony somewhere else in town, have you ever heard of a? He's kind of a bit of a global music legend who no one in New Zealand knows about, but he lives back here now. Have you heard of Harry the Bastard? Yes. Right. So I go, I go to Harry's, Harry's for ribs every now and again, and he's just got on his little balcony a kind of um, – hands are so useless to everyone listening. I'm showing Scott. <laughs> you know, it's just like a, a, smoke, a kind of a smoker, and I think it's got a, a little gas line to it. Does that ring a bell? So I'm thinking about putting something yeah. like that out. And he you just does – because he lived in the States for so many years – He's perfected those like low and slow ribs with the rub, and then yep. this really decadent like blue cheese dip. Holy shiz! Yeah, yeah. We better sign off and go and eat something. But yeah, um, I've got a, fr- a friend who who. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so just to close it off, I'm thinking about you know what? Well, I've got all this space on the balcony. I could I could have all of these. You know, you could, start you doing food have your little garden up there too. Yeah, totally. Although, here's a, how's this for interesting one? Um, guest I had on because I saw her TED talk and I was, thought she was I was really inspired what she was doing. Insects don't. Um, there's no pollination path for insects in, right, in most yeah. central cities. So I've tried growing stuff. Such a depressing comment on where I live, but it dies because nothing's pollinated. So I need to look into edible plants that wind pollinate because you just don't get. People yeah. think it's just bees, like anything that kind of is small and move pollinates stuff. But yeah, we'll get there. I'm starting on the balcony. I've just ordered a, a, a louver system to go over it, and I'm going to put some of that modern fake grass down that looks way cooler than the old astroturf. Nice. Um, it's nice. no paddock, mate. I think you should definitely get the smoker, though. That is something I, I've, I've You got know the ones I mean, eh? They're small. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a number of cooking uh, devices that I've either found in in second-hand stores or built or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I built a jerk chicken drum the other day out of a 44-gallon oh. drum. <laughs> and how's that different to doing it in the oven? Is it like a tandoori kind oh, of buzz? I don't know. It just looks a bit cooler. <laughs> <laughs> just on social media? Just, uh, you know, just uh, filling up with just jerk. Just got, yeah. got the jerk barrel out in the paddock, yeah. But what, no, no, explain, explain, explain it. You were, you, were the fellow, you were the fellow food cooking geek here. So so what 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 is, what is it doing? Is it... What is it particular about how it cooks stuff and how does it heat and so on? Oh, I think I think the size is a really is a really um, well. Originally, of course, it came from um, the jerk uh, ch- chicken and pork vendors in in the Caribbean, and yeah. it was about being mobile. It was right. actually that, that you could put wheels on the bottom of it and wheel it round to you know if there's no one was coming to your corner that day, you could hoof off up down to the beach or closer to the bar or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really where it started. A bit like a taco stand or a hot dog stand, you know. It was kind of like a taco truck. Go and find the people if the people aren't coming to you, you know. So I think that's where it really started with the drums. Um, and and they, the size is really good in that you can have it extremely hot in one area. And But how are you feeding it heat? Is it gas? Nope. Uh, chuckle. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, I'm a real I'm a real uh, fire guy. I love right. cooking with fire. My, I don't know if you know the um, the Patagonian uh, chef uh, Francis Melman. Oh, that's a deep cut, man. Come on. Okay, go, we'll on. go in there. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's my tip. That's my tip. I Francis should go and Melman. look and watch him. Yeah, yeah. Ah, he's amazing. Okay, he's, there's a, he's in, I'm sh- pretty sure he's on that chef's table um, Netflix series. He's the guy building massive fires out in the snowy me- Oh, this sounds hills. like my lockdown treat. I'll go uh, and have a look. Dude. Thank you. Yep. Um, so he's been the inspiration. So I've got a pizza oven. I've got a perilla, which is an Argentinian fire grill. I've got, I took some bricks out to the paddock and made a fire pit out there so I can grill things out there if I want. I've got what's, 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 that name for, what's that name for an expert? Like when you get an expert to help you with something like not a contractor, a... Um, you know, like that businessy term. Anyway, you need to be that for my balcony. Consultant. <laughs> you need to be the consultant for my balcony projects. And it yeah. sounds like a lot of these, some of these aren't purchased. You've actually, you made a few of these things. Yeah, you know, we've been making them. It's been fun. You know, that's been, that's been part of the fun has been working out how to, so just to step back a little bit, my dad, when uh, I was growing up, he's a microbiologist. He's a, a incredibly smart scientist but he actually trained as a carpenter and it was the thing he really wanted to do was be a builder yeah and so he taught us not really taught us he made us hold the bits of wood while he built our houses and stuff while we were kids and you know you just kind of soak it up over the years you know building things building building and then subsequently the two houses that me and my partner have owned we've built and renovated and I've done all the building for that and that's just kind of got now now it's kind of gone into things like oh I want to have a barbecue oh well I could buy one or I could build one so it's going to be much more fun if I build one oh man it's great that you have <laughs> it's great that you had that as part of your kind of coming on up because yeah um, a friend of mine in Melbourne she has built a reggae sound system from scratch she was nice. actually one of the last episodes and so things you find out about a, a mate you've known for 20 years because they never come up in conversation, her dad was a was a carpenter when, when she grew up, which goes a long way yeah. to her having like some kind of um, well, far more kind of like perspective on how to do it than I have, but also far more confidence than I would have to yeah, try and I think the start building speaker boxes, you know? Yeah, funnily enough, that's the speaker boxes are on the are on the on the to do list. I just recently uh, bought some old. Um, they're called Allen organ speakers. So, I mean, finding things like clipshorns and that sort of stuff in, in New Zealand and old Tannoy gold speakers, you know, yeah, uh, that's hard to do and really expensive. But these so, so you want, you're talking like inch speakers. Sorry, uh, you go on. No, go on. Are the hi fi speakers of the same ilk as those sorts of speakers. Yeah. And they were used in churches all the time to deal with the bottom end of the um, organs. So ah. the, of big pipe organs, so they've got huge capacity to pile out big banging bass. So, so, so you're I'm not looking at you don't want you want to build so, like something of the why would you like the scope of a of a reggae sound system? But you're meaning no. that you want to build a serious home system. Oh uh, yeah, I just want, well, yeah. I actually want to I actually want to build a little system that I can install in various places for just random things. I do I do quite well, a few yeah, random look, events down I'm sh- here. I'm, so. sh- I'm sure not. You know, you're perfectly capable and. More, more connected than I am, probably. But um, another person you probably know, you know, Toby Muir, Auckland yes. Reggae. So he, when I wrote the article for Audio Culture on, on sound system history, um, he let me into a <laughs> – so funny how militant it was. He let me into this Facebook group, and then immediately I was ejected at the end of the article, which is fine. But if you hit him up, they've got a group of um, sound system build 
all the all the guys in New Zealand who are serious about it have, there have are some great have, systems have, have a Facebook too, right? page. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same in Melbourne. Like it went from. I was talking to Fee about it. Like she and I ended up in a flat together about twenty years ago, and went to a reggae gig with a guy Jesse who's entrenched over there. And I don't think anyone had an actual physical sound system there, but it took. Some guy who had some following in the UK, Jar something I recognised, came back and, and gave himself a different name in, in, in Melbourne and, and, and built one. And I think now there's like, I think there's over 15. There's a lot. There's a lot, considering yeah. Yeah. what a major undertaking they are. Um, so, yeah, so going back, you kind of segued nicely for me, like talking about you when you were younger. But, yeah, with your dad first, like why did he not be a – Carpenter, did was it his parents parents pressuring him into you got to be a doctor or a lawyer or a? Uh, I think it was something along those lines. He was a smart smart student, you know. Yeah. They they basically said, "Hey, look, um, you've got you've got siblings. They can take over the family farm and do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you go to university, um, and which he, you know, I think he he was kind of torn one way, you know, in both directions, you know. He he um, loved science. He loves you know stretching his brain. He's a smart guy. At the same time, he's just so incredibly practical and loves yeah. building. So yeah. you know, he built and renovated old wooden uh, boats when we were a kid. You know, yeah. he'd you'd finish dinner and then he'd disappear out to the carport where he'd be repairing by hand these crazy old wooden boats and things and doing it. Um, he's such a, um, you know, the scientist part of him, yeah. um, one is good for the problem solving, but it's, he's also just so finicky and precise. <laughs> is he still around? It's obviously we're talking yeah. about him in the past, past tense, right? Oh, he doesn't do that any of that anymore. He, yeah. So if something needs to be fixed or um, built, he uh, does the planning stage and then rings me up to do the doing <laughs> stage. Is he in Kerry, Kerry? That's where you're from, right? Uh, no, I'm from the Tron. From where, where, where did I get that you were from Kerry, Kerry, Kerry? I must have. Uh, maybe it's my sunny disposition. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's your Wikipedia um, no, page. No, he lives down here in Hawke's Bay too. Um, no, uh, Joe from the from Freddy's is up that way. From oh, yeah. Way. Oh, look, you'll look the same. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> so that's why one of you wears that big hat. So I'm um, so... <laughs> yeah. So why yeah why Hamilton because um, well, I guess that's where you were born right so why folks why did the folks settle in Hamilton just generations there or science um, so they grew up science in both bro my parents yep science um, yep. dad's from Tiaraha, um slightly further east and mum's from Morrinsville slightly further west um, towards Hamilton so just out there in the bottom of the Hauraki Plains and um, yeah they and just ended up gravitating to the big smoke of the Tron. Gets a bit of flack, the Tron. Is it? Is it warranted, Scott? I think it probably was back in the day, <laughs> but um, now it's actually, you know, like everywhere, you can get a decent flat weight there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the joke. I think the joke's more played out than 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 what, what oh, the city's up to. Like, I, I will yeah. watch seven days. I go, if someone makes another fucking joke yeah. about Hamilton, yeah. it's like yeah, you no. guys need to write new material. I've just quickly deleted my um, anecdote about Kitty Kitty being where the first grapes were grown. So um, that's really going to stall us for um, for content. Oh, yeah, mate. we'll have nothing to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> how did you discover the? Um, how did you discover brass? Because at least you're a little bit older than me. But when I came on up in Wellington, um, 
it felt like rock guitar, you know, rock instruments were everything for a while. It's kind of to me, it felt feels like in my world at least, it was kind of a brass revival. How do you? How, you might completely disagree with that. How do you? Um, how do you come to playing brass? Um, I had had piano lessons. Um, you know, mum mum was really into music. Um, she wanted us to all have a little bit of um, you know musical training. So I had piano lessons. Sucked at that. Terrible. Yeah. Short little, short little, like like unusual hands in that really wide palm, really short fingers. Yeah, hello. Yeah, but can't play piano, can't play guitar. You, you watch all those scratch DJs, Scott. You look at their fingers, right? Okay, so <laughs> stubby, yeah, anyway, stubby. yeah. I just held um, my hand up, folks, in the camera. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so I, um, yeah, no, I was no good at that, and I was hating those lessons. And then at intermediate school. A really um, proactive music teacher. He got kids in from the local high school to just demonstrate all the sorts of instruments you could learn. And the guy with the saxophone stood up and had a fantastic mullet. And like um, sexy sax guy, super cool. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah. And he started playing, um, and I thought, ooh, I could do that. I could grow a mullet and play the saxophone. Um, where, where are we here? 80, 80, 80, oh 88, 86? 80, no, that would have been 84, 85. Oh, yeah, that's prime sexy sex territory. Ah, totally. Man, it was all over, you know, Prince had... Uh, Did he have a colourful short sleeve shirt had on? He players and, and uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen had saxophone players. Saxophone was bigger than... Huey Lewis in the thing. news feel like they totally. had a... Yeah, yeah, Everywhere. Yeah. Great. Was not was they had saxophone players, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know there was saxophone everywhere. UB40 was all over the TV Great. as well and the radio. Um, oh my god, you're so right. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's a big part of eighties pop culture. Yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge part and yeah. and um, yeah, and it just went from there. I sort of I didn't really I I kind of had a bit of a natural affinity for it, and then. Um, by the kind of middle middle of high school, I was playing in local bands and making good money. That was the thing that kept, kind of kept me in it. I was like, well, I could be mowing the lawn for five bucks or I could go off and do this gig with this blues band. And so they s- sneak you into the bar and you stay on the stage kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Great. Totally. Yeah. As it turned out, I, I played for this band. I won't I won't talk about who they were. They, they um, Oh, what was that? You can't let that... Well, well, um, we're doing all these gigs all over the Waikato, up at the Coromandel, yeah. and then you know, out to Tauranga, and then down to Taupo, and and so uh, a known a known entity to well, New Zealand outside of being a pub band. Yeah, I guess they were a pub band, but they were a really popular pub okay, band. Great. And I was okay, like, cool. man, we're doing lots of work all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end of my time playing with them, I worked out it was because the. The guy who was running the band was actually dealing drugs for the mongrel mob, and he and it was <laughs> you're like a, you're like a kid to negotiate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was totally a, a wet behind the ears, yeah. green green kid in this yeah. front, and I was just like, all oh, right. So we've just been doing these gigs, really, as a cover for you to drive, or he'd just got out of prison for assault, um, just for you to drive around the country. Um, say you're working Tra- trafficking, trafficking gear, trafficking, trafficking gear for the gang. Jesus. Yeah. We played some good music, though, it has to be said. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, was, but how, but how, did that, how did that come out or into conversation? So you, it doesn't sound like you're saying he got busted or anything. No. You, you, no. you just figured it out. Well, yeah, we started playing, at, we started playing at, at a place, I'm pretty sure it was called The Crossroads. Yeah. Of course it was called The Crossroads, um, which was somewhere in the, in the Waikato. And it was like neutral turf for all the gangs where they would all turn up and sort of, It'd be a bit of a truce there, and yeah, 
And, yeah. and, and I just sort of started noticing things as I was, you know, I was probably 16 by then. I was like, oh, that's actually what's happening here. What's actually going down here? Yeah, so you're not, so, you weren't completely naive because there are some yeah. people that would just totally go over their heads. It did to begin with, absolutely. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then, and then I got a bit more wise to it. And then I just kind of, I, I sort of drifted away from music for a bit and I was really into sports, into cricket and soccer and I wanted to go and study being a physiotherapist down in um, Otago. Were you, were, you, up, were you good at sport as well? Like, yeah, you, I yeah, was, yeah, I was really good at sport actually. Yeah. Well, not really good. I was pretty good at sport, good enough. Um, and I was obsessed with it though. And, um, and then in my last year at high school, I had my leg broken really badly in a football tournament. Ooh. And it meant that I was in a, in a cast from my ankle up to my hip for about nine months. Yeah. And there was not a lot to do other than sit on the couch and play my saxophone. And that sort of, there I was, off I went into saxophone land. So saxophone no more sport. Land. There was something about you were thinking yeah. about studying physio, so it's sounding like this is this is leading to you saying this is how I ended up because you went to jazz school in Wellington, right? Yeah, that's right. So I, you know, finished high school, didn't really know what I was going to do. Playing the saxophone lots, playing you know gigs and that sort of thing, um, doing some shitty part-time jobs, earning some money, surfing, going to the beach, doing all that sort of thing. Yeah, and then um, I wanted to check up and sort of see what my old mulleted saxophone teacher had been doing yeah and um he'd been down in wellington at the music school and i thought oh maybe i could do that so did you um, have a mullet did you have a mullet no not really they just seem to feature prominently in this story but go on yeah no um we all had slight mullets okay in the 80s come on yeah um sorry and i just ended up i ended up sort of going actually yeah this is what I want to do now. I want to do music. Right. And um, managed to convince uh, my my mum was all into it. She was, you know, like, yes, okay, where you go. Dad was like, no, you need to, you need to get something, get some education, you know, tertiary education. Um, but then I convinced them that, uh, um, you know, if I even if I sucked at being a saxophone player, um, I would then be able to go and be a secondary school music teacher because I had the qualifications once I'd right. done this course. Right, gotcha. So, so win-win. Came down to Wellington, got into music, met all the all the Wellington peeps, yep. and that was it, really. Great. Um, and another thing I want to ask while I have your um, attention as an expert is probably even more recently that I've understood or learned that reeds are a kind of a, a a thing that you have to condition or choose or i don't know like fill me in there are there like if you get a whole bunch of them are some better than others yeah so i guess much the same way that a um you know a guitar string sort of changes during its life and that you get it out of the packet and it's there it's a guitar string and you stick it on the guitar and you have to stretch it and get it, you know, settled and everything and then it has a lifespan and that it sounds great for a while and they then they start sounding shitty and then they break. Reeds do exactly the same thing in that they they cut from like an actual reed, you know, so they're yeah. a living thing. Yeah. Then they're dried out and, and, and so the process of cutting and drying them is not precise. Yeah. You know. Some of them will be um 
perfect. Some of them will be a bit off, so they'll be thicker in one area. They'll be a little bit warped, whatever it is. So, yeah, people have all sorts of theories about how you how you sort of rotate them around. And, and I, I kind of have a have a um, a a stable or a harem of reeds, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it a stable because that's probably better. Yeah. Um, uh, where where they are in various parts of their lifespan. Oh, Some are so brand interesting. New, yeah. Good. But I'm really finicky about reeds in that I'll, the guys in the music store hate me. And they, they've they changed this a little bit late, uh, lately because they're all like... Is it like, don't let package. Scott open like, the boxes? Don't yeah, let basically, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go through every single reed in the box and go, and they'll say, do you want a box? I'm like, well, possibly. Pass me the box. And they're like, Okay. I get the quite, box. Quite, quite, I also, quite, contra- quite, also quite controversial in these in these coronavirus times, Scott, to be yes, going well, through and fingering people's they have, reads. They have changed that in the last <laughs> few years. So now they're individually packaged, a bit like minties or condoms. You know, you get a box yeah. of them. Yeah. So, yeah, right. So, what I heard is is correct. I sort of, so someone I was listening to or reading about musicians talk about him sitting there and going through a bunch at at the beginning of their life rather than you've talked about of having a bunch. So there are, you, you, you do kind of suss, well, that's just what you've described. You, you're sussing them at the beginning in the store, right? Yeah, that's right. You're kind of doing that initial cut. You're kind of going, yep, they will look even. They're kind of, um, it's like buying a piece of wood at the No, I get it, yeah. I get it. Uh, ITM or, you know, is this one straight? Yes, okay, okay. It so goes into the, I'll buy se- Second thing I'm curious about with this, read business is um you mentioned imperfections and so on now as we know with something like the 808 and it's bad transistors which is obviously completely electronic it's um you know really beneficial like is there no use for a read with an imperfection or do some do people some people find they get a particular sound or feel out of that like are you basically are you looking for the perfect ones all the time and the ones that aren't are useless or uh, yeah, because I guess the analogy with the eight hundred eight and its airflow, is that, yeah, yeah, is that is that um, it would be the read part is almost would be having like your your trigger your your button to trigger the the, the snare or whatever. If yeah. that button's not working, it doesn't matter how awesome that snare sounds. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's if, it, if it's only working half the times so you touch it, then it's not really doing the job. It's supposed you know, to be doing, I realised so. part way through that I kind of knew all of that, but I I was committed, so I. I <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the, the idiosyncrasy <laughs> part of it is not that desirable. In fact, it's a classic one, too. If you're having a shitty gig, yeah. you can always blame it on your read. Oh, it's so interesting. I'm so lucky to do these um, episodes <laughs> and get, get to ask this really kind of micro stuff because I find it super, super interesting. I hopefully did my nerdy listeners. But <laughs> do you work on other um, music outside of, of, of Freddy's? I do. Yeah. Um, but in varying different ways. So, so I do. I don't play in other bands. Yeah. Um, but if there's a little side project, so I've done a bit of stuff, horn arranging for um, and recording for Solarosa um, and for Julian Dine. Um, I my biggest outlet would probably be um, uh, collecting records. Great. And so I've I've got a a really sort of broad taste in music when it comes to... Re- I love record. I love the artifacts of records. Yep. I love secondhand record stores. Great. And that's a big thing for me when we're on tour. It's a, it's the way that gets me out of the bus, out of the venue. Sort of like out. fishing. It's, it's, Sounds like a kind of a fishing... Absolutely is. Yeah. That's right. And I can go in and spend an hour in a, a 
leafing through the bins in a second hand store and walk out with nothing and still feel like I've had a good time, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the biggest, that's the biggest musical connection outside. Oh, of yeah. That. And you get, and you often, you often and regularly DJ too, don't you? Yeah. 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 So that's really, that's really come out of, off the back of getting into, into record collecting when I was living in, in the UK. So I kind of was, I was a happy punter, um, in 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 London, yeah, uh, and and in Wellington, you know, yeah. I sort of was playing gigs and going to dance parties and that sort of thing, um, but I wasn't really into the music collecting or DJ no. culture or anything like that. Yeah. When I got to London, there were oh, just you got it. You everywhere. got it. Oh my yeah. god! You've been to Japan? Yeah, been to Japan. I went to Japan and I was like, I can't, I can't engage with this. I need to have a normal <laughs> holiday. Jeez, yeah. it's intense there, right? It's so intense, oh, but dude, beautiful. They farmed the rest of the world out for ages, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's. I uh, in fact, I'll be going into the shed to check out some records and and just and mo- move the sausages to the side while they're curing and get in yeah, there. That's right. Get out of the way, record chorizo. Have you met Como? Awesome. Before we go, did you ever you? Ever get into that ramen from scratch recipe I sent you? Because it's one of the simplest I've I found. I haven't, but oh, I cool. will because uh, I'm, see, it's one of the things I'm trying to convince the family of the of the wonders of the ramen. Oh, I'm bro, a, I'm honestly, a fan. I'm like, a fan. like 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 the, like as you probably know, like you know, like, you cannot scientifically say what the best ramen is. It's tied with family history. It's tied with preparation process. You know, da 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 da. All I'd say about that recipe is in terms of. Um, what some of the others required, like a lot of them are really way more laborious. Like it's a process, but it's not too full on. But the result, and I'm no, I'm no kind of like ramen expert, but hey, there's my taste buds. Is it's really, really, really tasty? Yeah, and and easy to make with quite easy to find ingredients in New Zealand. I would definitely be doing that. I got a fix- I'm a bit like you, and then I get fixated on a particular thing. For oh, a while. mine's been luxes, and it's to the point where like I, I'm going to ruin this one day. I won't be able to eat a luxa, but but home ones because for years, even chefs said to me like, just don't try and make a home luxa. Like it's just they're one of those things you only go and get out, and and mine's not as good as a going out one, but it's pretty damn good. And yeah. again, it's quite I'm, easy to make. I'm a bit like that. I'm like that with um, well, pizza. Obviously, I've been making pizza for you oh, know in my pizza ovens for yeah. I built, built the pizza oven in the first place as a treat to myself for yeah. my fortieth birthday. Great. And so I've been making um, pizzas and learning about dough and all that sort of yeah. stuff ever since. And so I'm I'm obsessed about making my own pizza. And now that's kind of spilled out into. I got into a phase where it was all about um, making fur. Making what? Fur. You know, a, a um, Vietnamese beef noodle soup. Is that how you pronounce it? I believe so. P H O? Yeah. Ah. Oh. Ah, oh, okay. That makes that for shizzle meme um, more, make more sense. Anyway, yep, go on. And then, and then lately it's been um, me goring. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with making me goring. Now, just one sec, we're going to finish up soon, but just <laughs> you need to step back because noodle soups are kind of like I reckon I could quite. I often eat them for breakfast. I, I could quite happily. I, I mean, I you, could happily live on the variation of them. But are you able to afford me your a fur recipe? Like I will totally. I will. I will awesome, yeah, man. I, will, I love yeah. that. It's the same thing in that it's process. This process of. I love it. You know, it's like burning the onions so that they get this particular yeah, sort of... Yeah, 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 ah, yeah. You know. <laughs> a basic one I do, like a lot of mornings, so I, I basically don't eat, eat cereal. 
because it's a scam. But anyway, um, <laughs> is uh, just like stock that I always have on hand that I make, like a veggie stock. This is just like a basic kind of nice, cleanish soup, like veggie stock, um, tablespoon of soy sauce, garlic, ginger, lemongrass, a little bit of chilli. Boil that together for 10 minutes, and then I just throw my noodles and whatever fresh veggies or leftover meat oh, I've got man. in. Um, po- poach, an, poach an egg in the last three minutes that you cook when you're cooking the noodles. Yep. That, that's a that's a break. I mean, like, actually, that's what I had this morning. Um, so noodle dude, soups, that's a good breakfast there. Oh, dude, it's great, man. Like, cause I, yeah, I, I, I like I get, I, I need to eat. I'm one of someone who needs to eat quite a lot in the morning. Just before you go, like, it's this isn't a pissing contest, but um, but how many how many vinegars? Yeah, how many vinegars you got? How many, how many vinegars? <laughs> How many vinegars? How many vinegars are you running? Oh, I reckon we're probably probably running maybe maybe six vinegars uh, maybe at the okay. moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sugar? Maybe How many different times. kinds of sugar you got? Oh, oh well, Fiona's a baker, so yeah. um, oh man, you got some musc- muscovado there. That dark oh, yeah, that you like? yeah, that's, a, that's a serious um, sugar, man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is agave syrup considered a sugar? I think probably that's is, I think it's it? sugar. Yeah. Okay, oh. let's say I'm threatened. I'm threatened. Oils. Let's let's end on oils, and I, and I don't mean just food oils. Oh, look, I'm I love an olive oil, yeah. so I'm a bit of a hoarder, especially if we're travelling and um and I can bring back a little bottle of something from that's been you know grown on some crusty little olive grove somewhere. So I'd say there's probably a good ten to twelve oils. If you dro- and you can drop good money on olive oil in places like that. Have you got some flash ones? Um, I don't think I've ever gone really flash on the oil front. I tell you what, I got obsessed with <laughs> every time we go and stop. We keep talking about food. Let's do another hour. No, just yeah, we'll get done. Finish Bals- with this. Yeah, there yeah. are vintage balsamic vinegars. I know, um, which go for you know thousands of dollars a bottle and i got kind it's of it's like whiskey they keep adding yeah. to the same um barrel oh man i just was just amazed when i found out about that so i kind of i i'm a i'm a big fan of the of the um of the bitter bitter salad with a simple vinaigrette sort of yeah. thing but you know your vinegar and your oil in that sort of context are very very important it's, it's if um if i teach my son nothing i can um and I die tomorrow. I can die happy knowing that I've taught him how to make vinaigrette. That is, that's look at that for a conclusion, man. Okay, this has been a pleasure, and it sounded really good compared to the other day when we tried to go. Um, take care, and again, say yeah, hi to hey, say nice, hi to nice say hi to the fam, buddy. Yeah, it was really lovely, bro. Yeah, see you, mate. Human, human interaction can't yeah. be underrated. Can it? <laughs> totally.